Hey guys, I'm Jen, owner of Hello June Creative, a boutique brand and web design studio. I'm here to help you learn, up-level, and find community in your design business journey. Just remember, the only designer you need to be better than is the one you were yesterday. Hey guys, welcome back to Better the Brand Designer podcast. It is a total pinch me moment today because I got the pleasure of interviewing Olivia Herrick from Olivia Herrick Design. Um, we talk about this a little bit in the episode, but she has been a designer that I followed for so long. I feel like she was one of the OG designers in the space before I even thought about starting my company. Um, and I really just relate to her design style. It's so colorful. It's so simple. It's so spacious. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read her bio. Um, Olivia Herrick is a Minnesota-based designer passionate about serving clients well. Her studio, Olivia Herrick Design, serves clients in all categories and specializes in a logo, golf, packaging, and pattern design. So I'm really excited about this conversation. Before we get into this topic today, I want to share a little bit more about the Design Mini Mind. Um, it is not quite open for enrollment yet. November 1st is the day that it is open for enrollment publicly. Um, and I am just over the moon excited about it. I am going to record an entire episode all about what's kind of creating and launching the first cohort was like. Um, it's going to be a solo episode that'll come out in a few weeks. Um, but this program is for designers who might be a little new to come to their business. They might be in like year one or year two, you know, who are, you know, starting to see a little bit of traction with their company, but are looking to kind of get to that next level in terms of revenue, in terms of profitability, um, and just feel a little bit lost and are looking for that mentor, um, figure in their company to kind of help guide them um, to build the type of business that is going to work for them and their lifestyles. And that's going to look unique for every single person. When I started dreaming about what type of group program I wanted to do, I didn't want it to be a course. I didn't necessarily want it to feel like you couldn't talk to me or anything like that. And so I kind of struck this ideal balance between one-to-one -one mentorship and a curriculum and a small group because I feel like small groups are where like I thrive. I think it can be easy to get lost in a very large group of other designers and kind of scary sometimes. And I also definitely wanted to make sure that I had like one-to-one -one touch points with every single student. And so Unlimited Voxer access is and always has been one of my favorite parts of the mini mine. And Voxer is a, um, a voice note app in case any of y'all were curious what that is. Basically, my mini mine students are able to Voxer me at any time. And during my Voxer office hours, I will respond to every single thing that they say. So it's kind of like having a little pocket mentor um, that will be able to help you with like certain client issues or pricing or sales or writing proposals or anything like that. So that's been definitely my favorite part of the program. Um, and I've just been, I loved getting to know every single lady that joined in the first cohort. Shout out to all of you guys. Um, there's going to be more information about what exactly the curriculum covers. Um, it's going to be six months starting in January, 2024, but doors are kind of opening a little bit early so that I can, um, just get everyone booked in and get everyone on board and stuff like that. Every single month has a different theme and um, we all kind of go through the curriculum together. We have group calls. There's there's one-to-one -one calls involved. It's a very, very high touch program that I think is different than a lot of the things that are out there in the space currently. Um, and the only negative is that it's a really, really small group. And so spots are really limited. Last year, the program did end up selling out, which I'm so grateful for. There were a couple of people that applied too late that I did have to 
you know, kind of refer to this second group. And it's something that I only offer once per year. So if this sounds like something that you would be curious about, there is no commitment necessary. Um, you can go to hellojunecreative.co slash minimind, and then go ahead and put your email in to the little, there's a little call to action in there that we'll be able to click on it and then add your email to the list. Those people are actually going to get early access to the application. Um, and so if that is something where you're like, I absolutely need to have a spot in this program, then I highly recommend sending in your application earlier rather than later, just because everything books up based off of receipt of deposit. So, um, I'm so excited about running this program again. It was such a blast last year. It was so amazing seeing the new heights that my mini mind students reached the new, um, prices that they were booking at, the new revenue that was coming in their doors, this the new spacious in their schedules. Um, and I, I'm like literally so excited to start talking about it again, because I definitely get wrapped up in client work, but this is my passion. This is what I love to do. I love educating. If you guys love the podcast, love my style and have been looking for either like a one-to-one mentor or small group program, then this is kind of the best of both worlds. So highly encourage you guys to just take a peek through the screenshots of just some of the wins that my mini mind students have experienced during those first six months in the first cohort. There's a ton in there, all very interesting. Lots of, you know, talking about like what people are selling, like what packages people are selling out. There's pricing stuff in there. So even if you're like, ah, I don't know if I need a mentor right now, just go to halogencreative.co slash minimind and you'll be able to see all of those screenshots in the little slider that you can kind of peek through. It's a nice little window into the behind the scenes of what working with me could look like. So if you have any questions at all, don't hesitate to shoot me a DM at halogencreative. Um, I'm actually talking with a bunch of people right now about whether or not the program is going to be the right fit for them just because people have found the, the, um, the sales page from my website and stuff like that. Um, and so I would love to have a voice note conversation with you over DM about your goals and whether or not we feel like the program is going to be the right fit for you. Okay. With all that being said, here is my conversation with Olivia Herrick. Hey guys, I'm so excited to welcome Olivia Herrick to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yes, me too. Um, I was telling Olivia before we got on the recording and I told her that I tend to gush a little bit before we start the recording. So it doesn't sound like super awkward when I'm like actually saying it on the podcast. But Olivia has been a designer that I followed for the entire lifetime of my business and even before that. And I feel like you kind of are like a fixture in the space, I guess. Like I know that sounds kind of grandiose to like put it that way, but like I feel like every person I know also is aware of your content and your style. And I just feel like you're kind of one of the industry leaders um, in the boutique studio space and someone that I personally look up to as an inspiration. So just wanted to say on the recording how grateful I am for your time today. Oh, thanks. That means a lot to me and is very affirming. You know, it's been a long journey. It's been 13 years, but that that is what, you know, hearing that type of thing, it makes it feel like it's all kind of worth it in the end. So I appreciate that. Yeah. 
Of course, of course. So let's just dive right into our roses and thorns, and then we can kind of get into the conversation. Um, we were talking also about like we have some questions, but like I feel like there's so many things that like I want to discuss with you, and you you put like a a great like list of just such a ju- juicy topics on your guest um like form, and so I was like, oh, I want to talk about everything. So we're gonna try to fit it all in today, um, and wherever the conversation takes us is gonna be what needs to be said. So um, let's do roses and thorns. My rose for this week is that I actually signed on my last web design client of the year this morning. I sent out her proposal last week and with web, I try to like really book that in at the latest and, you know, at the end of October, mid, I mean, at the beginning of October now, like just because I don't really like signing on web clients in like November for like a December launch, because there's just so much that like needs to take place. And I feel like clients don't fully understand like what goes into launching, building and launching a website. And I, I know that some designers do have intensive offers, which are awesome, but like my studio just like, isn't at the place where it can operate doing web intensives. Like I can do mm-hmm. brand not web. So that just feels really good. And it feels like kind of final, like I've closed out web for the year. I might take on a few little like brand refreshes here and there for the rest of the year, but that is definitely something to celebrate and something that I'm really excited about. Congratulations. That is a Thank that's you. a big booking. Yes, yeah, it is. I am um, I'm I'm glad that like I can kind of plan out the rest of Q4 knowing what my capacity is going to look like instead of like well, if I sign a client on, like what's that going to mean for my schedule or my team mm-hmm. or whatever. So, it there's a sense of finality to it. Um and I'm just really grateful that that is happening in October and not like right near the end of the year. Like, so I don't anticipate any scrambling. I want to really enjoy the holidays, like that type of thing. Um, and my thorn for this week is kind of silly, but we don't have any mirrors in our house yet (laughs) because we just moved in. And I'm not like, I'm not saying this because I'm like vain or because I want to spend an hour doing my makeup or hair in the morning, but like there was a good week where like there was no mirrors except for like my iPhone camera, my iPhone front facing camera. I was like, I'm not doing my makeup and my like iPhone front facing camera. I'll put a little mascara on, but like my hair was a rat's nest for a week because I just never saw a reflection of myself. And let me tell you guys, it was kind of freeing. So it's kind of a rose and kind of a thorn, but like I have my vanity now that has like a mirror that I need to attach to and stuff, but I have it like propped up against the wall and I'm like, I'm kind of sad that I can see myself again. Is that bad? Like, it's just kind of funny. No, that's my thorn. (laughs) Yeah. It's such a, probably a good reminder of how exposed we are to ourselves. I mean, you know, we Mm -hmm. have a pretty small house and we have a lot of mirrors in here. So we see our own faces a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like I I noticed that I wasn't like getting distracted by like whoa my mascara is like halfway down my face by four p.m. Mm-hmm. or like my part is like all wonky or whatever. I was just kind of living in the moment. I didn't really know what time it was. I mean, just the chaos of moving is like it's like a a positive negative, more positive yes. than negative. But I think that that was just kind of like a funny little thorn that I wanted to share with you guys. <laughs> I love that. What, That's how, good. I- thank you. Yeah. Go ahead and show your rose and thorn. Okay. So both of mine, I'm going to do two kind of business related. Um, I would say that my rose right now this week um, is that I'm working with pretty much exclusively returning clients right now. So it's so fun. I I love all my clients and people that come back to work with me again um, 
are typically people that I really have enjoyed working with. And so it's been so fun to just be really fully booked with their projects. The flip side of that, which is also my thorn, is that I have definitely taken on too much work. And so I'm in a period of overwhelm right now, um, just feeling a little, you know, kind of maxed out. I feel like I've been just recently, I realized that I've been saying like, I'm in a busy season of life for 16 years. Like I'm starting to realize it's just my personality. <laughs> like that's just who I am. I'm just, I do a lot and I take a lot on, but I'm really trying to like by November 1st, I'm really trying to slow down because it was that way through the summer and it's going to end up being that way through October. And I just like have this vision for a peaceful end of the year. And I'm really, really hoping to get there. So similarly, it's sort of a rose and a thorn. The rose is that I have great clients that are coming back to work with me again. The thorn is that I really try to accommodate those people that come back. And that has kind of led to just overextending myself a little bit. I relate to that so deeply. And in fact, I just recorded another podcast episode earlier today, just a solo podcast about like an update of like my business, which you guys all heard come out last Tuesday. Um, And like one of the things that I was talking about in that episode was like one of my biggest struggles in business right now is just like not not knowing like what my ideal capacity looks like. And like, I think you and I are really similar in the fact, like just from hearing you talk about this and that like, we want to give our clients the best, like, especially with a returning client, like I want to pull some strings and fit them in. Like, especially Mm -hmm. at the end of the year when everyone's thinking like, I want to make investments that are tax deductible for 2023. Like I want things to be like launched in early December before the holidays. If it's e-commerce, like Black Friday, like Thanksgiving, all of that type of crazy stuff kind of tends to surface near the end of the year. And I feel like it's so hard for me to be like, no, you have to start in January and launch in March. Like that just seems like so far away. And so like, I don't know, do you have any, do you have any advice for, I mean, I guess I know that you're struggling with this right now, but like, do you have any advice for someone like me or someone who's listening to where it's like, how do you, how do you, how do you plan for your cadence to where you're like, so hard. (laughs) it's like, it's like an impossible problem. I've not found found a solution yet. (laughs) I would say my advice is probably bad advice, which is that 99% of the time I just find a way to get it done for people. I mean, within reason, right? Like someone just reached out and they, a returning client and they need something, they need it super fast. It's a big project. I, the, it's priced pretty high. Like the price Mm -hmm. I sent them is pretty high because for me to do it, I'm going to really have to move around my design calendar and figure out, you know, like it means working on weekends and at night and getting this over the finish line for them, which I'm totally open to doing. But especially for small things, like sometimes I feel myself when people come to me and it's sort of like a rush or a last minute thing, I feel myself kind of say like, well, no, it's a rush. If I say yes to this, like, then you're going to want me to do things really fast all the time. Mm -hmm. And I've tried, I've been trying to kind of like set that aside and just get it done for people most of the time. And I found that no one has like gone on to abuse me. You know, it's usually just that in this industry, I mean, 90% of my clients are behind. They want it as soon as possible. They come to me and they want it done really quick. Like it's not uh, it's not unusual to have people that are in a rush. And so in terms of managing capacity for me, I feel like it's so hard because it's also, you know, we're in a business where we are trying to make a living. And so it's really hard to have someone say, I'm trying to pay you $5,000 or $1,000 or 
$500 and say, you know, no. But at the same time, once you have overextended yourself and you've started to see it start to impact your relationships or friendships or your partnership or your your role, like relationship with your kids, you know, because you're always hurried or frantic, um, then it's easier to say no, I think, once you've kind of hit that rock bottom point. But I don't, I honestly don't think it's something that anyone ever has totally figured out because, you know, the nature of running a business is that most people are trying to make as much money as possible and not Mm -hmm. destroy ourselves in the process. I, I, I mean, so beautifully said, I think like it's kind of an unsolvable problem and it's also Mm -hmm. something that's hard to give advice to someone else on because everyone's capacity looks different. Everyone has a different ideal schedule. Everyone has different commitments in their life, whether that's motherhood or, you know, like a part you want to do part-time because you're pursuing another business or because you have Mm -hmm. something else in your life, chronic illness, like whatever that looks like. Um, And so it's actually refreshing to hear you say like, like sometimes I just have to put my head down and get it done because I think that there is mm-hmm. a conversation in our space right now that comes from a good place, right? It's like boundaries and like you're in control and like you tell the client like what you can and can't do and like, you know, spaciousness and profitability and peaceful days. And it's like sometimes that feels like a pipe dream because it is a pipe dream because like mm-hmm. I think that if I felt like I wanted to be spacious and peaceful every single day, I probably wouldn't be making the same amount of money that I am right now, which is like Mm -hmm. so antithetical to what a lot of like mentors and like business coaches teach where it's like, yes, you can have like, I mean, I even teach this in my mentorship program. So like, I'm not like, you know, bashing or throwing shade on anyone. Like, Mm -hmm. yes, you can have spaciousness and peace and profitability, but like, it's not going to be like that all the time. And so, like I said, it's refreshing to hear you say sometimes you have to put your head down and get the work done and work in the evenings or work on the weekends. And you're making that decision consciously. I think that's the key is when you're not just like saying, yes, 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 yes. And then caught by surprise when you're like, whoa, Mm -hmm. I wasn't anticipating having to work as hard as I am. So I think like that's the distinction because early on, I'm sure in both of our companies, we were caught by surprise and we were not making those decisions intentionally. And now it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. our time is a resource. Our energy is a resource that we can use and we can steward. Um, And I think it's, it's all about that intention behind like, if I say yes to this, these are the things that I'm saying no to balancing that, making that decision being like, okay, the money is good. I'm going to have to give up this thing. I'm cool with that. And so it's like not a surprise. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. And I think that is, yeah, it is kind of this paradox of like you, yes, you have this vision for like a peaceful business. I think everybody wants that and for it to be as Mm -hmm. simple and effortless as possible. Um, For me, you know, both of my kids are in, I have two kids and both of them are in school or daycare. And so when they're gone, I'm like, I'm going to go 100 miles per hour for this limited period of time and do as much as I possibly can. Um, Mm. Whether that's good or bad, I don't really know, but it's just kind of the way that I operate. So I wouldn't describe my days as like super peaceful or spacious right now, but they're very fulfilling. And I think ultimately, you kind of spoke to this earlier, like I can't tell someone else what is the right fit for them. For me, I thrive in doing a lot. I'm very energized by like deadlines and and talking to lots of people and um, interacting with my clients every day. And so, you know, that's what's so cool about this 
this world and and this design world where we're learning from each other too is that you just need to hear the right thing from like one person not everything is for everyone and i just find it so interesting how we can all you know have a positive end result but be doing things totally totally differently yes so well said I love that we just dove right into like industry chatter, like right <laughs> after Roses and Thorns. I, yeah. I I find this so incredibly refreshing and relatable. And I'm hopeful that anyone out there who's listening who feels like I used to feel guilty for being busy. Like mm-hmm. I used to feel guilty for feeling like I had to rush to get things done before daycare pickup. Like mm-hmm. that's just a reality of my life right now. And now I see that as like a positive, like look at how quickly I've taught myself to work and to provide value to my clients at the highest mm-hmm. level of quality that I can so that I can be there in the afternoons to go to the playground or like I can be there to like cook dinner or like have a moment with my son and my husband. Like that's, I feel like, and it's not like that every day. Some days are like crazy and I'm hitting the laptop as soon as Ryder goes to bed, like, you know, and some days I'm like, wow, it's a lighter week like this. I mean, not many, not many weeks or am I, am I like that? Because I think I'm like you and that I pack it on. Like when my head hits the pillow at the end of the day, I am brain dead because I gave everything to my day. I gave everything to my kid, everything to my clients. Like, mm-hmm. and I do, you know, self-care, of course, like I work out, like I try to like pour into myself as well. So like, that's not to say that this conversation is about like, just like running yourself yeah. ragged, but like, totally. I, I think it's just more complex than what we hear often in the sales pages in the like, you know, yeah. the, the chatter around like, oh, well, if you're feeling stressed and anxious about your business, like you're wrong or you're bad or you're, you're doing something that like you need to change. You know, I think yeah. it's okay to feel a little rushed sometimes. <laughs> and in fact, that's allows yeah. like your capacity to expand, you know, and like that you're, you're in control ultimately of your capacity, you know? So anyways, it's a, we could do a whole podcast episode just about I that. Um, but I would love to shift gears for a second and for our listeners, but also for myself, I would love to hear kind of like the Cliff Notes version of your career, kind of like, okay, because I feel yeah. like you launched your studio at a time that's very different than probably a lot of people listening, very different mm-hmm. than when I launched my studio in 2019. I mean, you you said you've been around for 13 years, like mm-hmm. you're one of the OGs in the space. Tell us more about what led you to begin your studio and kind of like highlights and a couple lowlights throughout the course of, you know, where that's led you today. Okay. Love that. So I, I've been a professional designer for 13 years. I opened my studio in 2015. We'll get back to that in a second. So I, um, you know, went to college and, um, played golf there. That's kind of how I chose the school that I went to. Um, and I went to Drake university in Des Moines, Iowa and had a really lovely time there. It was so great. Um, studied design there and then got out and I had, a couple different jobs. I worked for a commercial greeting card company. I worked for a nonprofit and then I worked for an apparel startup. And so I really kind of like hit a lot of different categories. And in one of those jobs, I was a creative director. In one, I was a designer. In one, I was a marketing and communications manager. So I was doing all sorts of different stuff. I was writing. I do have a degree in journalism too. So writing comes naturally to me. Um, but it it's just, I learned so much in those jobs. And I learned very little design skills, but I learned how to 
exist in the world with other people professionally, which is such a, you, it's very difficult to learn that in college. And so I really felt like I was just kind of thrown in the water when I graduated from college and learned so much in those first five years out. I mean, I looked at every job that I had as just this awesome opportunity to learn, to be positive. You know, I think for a lot of people, when you first start a job, you come in pretty bright eyed and bushy tailed. And a lot of people that I've been working for a long time are like very jaded. And so I really took it upon myself to always be this like shiny, bright light in every job that I was in and just learn as much as possible. And so those jobs were awesome. Then I, I knew I wanted to start my own business and start my own studio. Um, it felt very unattainable. I had stopped freelancing while I was working full-time because it was just too much um, for me personally. I was working really long hours at the nonprofit that I worked for, and I just, it was too much. So I stopped. And so I would also normalize that if you're out there listening and you're working full-time and you're like, man, freelancing is the worst. Like, I'm so tired when I get home from work. You know, scale it back. Maybe take on one project a month or do, you know, just keep it keep try to protect your peace so that you don't start to hate design that's really the ultimate goal and so anyway I went on to then start my studio in 2015 and the way that I quit so I very much am a you know I'm a firstborn child not to super generalize with birth order but I'm kind of a rule follower I play it relatively safe, you know, except for in my business, I feel like I'm pretty true to myself and do things my own way. But I, you know, like if I try on a shirt or if I decide to not get something at the checkout, I go and find it and put it back in the place in the store. Like I am just very much (laughs) a type A little um, rule follower, firstborn person. And so I, when I went to quit my job, I absolutely could not do the like, quit and figure it out later thing. I wanted to somehow have a way to have my entire salary basically lined up, but I had no clue how to do that at all. Um, And so I started to like research online, how you could have like a membership. I had no clue what I was even looking for. Stumbled upon retainers. I never worked in an agency, so I didn't know what retainers were. Um, They're obviously very common in agencies. And so I pitched a couple retainers to some of my freelance clients that I had worked for and one to my employer that I was quitting and basically said, hey, you know, you can keep me on almost as a full-time employee, but with zero overhead for you guys. And they bit on that and one other client did as well. And so the rest is kind of history. It's been sort of a whirlwind since then. I mean, Definitely highs and lows, so many lessons learned, a lot of mistakes along the way. But I think ultimately it's just been a lot of showing up and like doing the work day after day. And it was a really different time there. You know, I had social media, but it wasn't even I mean, it wasn't even remotely close to like what it is now. And so I definitely was not getting any clients from social media for sure. And it was a lot of just like hardcore I want, you know, I want to work for you. Here's what I can do for you. Here's my work. A lot of self-promotion in a in a different way than we're used to self-promoting now. And I think those skills have served me well as the digital landscape has evolved. 
But that kind of brings us to today. I have two daughters and I now I work full time. I mean, I consider it full time because it's the full every second that I have available. It's probably closer to like 30 hours a week um, when it's all said and done between driving kids around and actually working. Um, But yeah, and I just serve clients in a lot of different industries. I also have a couple of children's books and children's products published through my publisher. And so I just, I love to dabble. I love to try different things and it's every day is interesting and really fun. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing all of that with me. I mean, I, it's really interesting to hear about what starting a company was like, you know, I don't want to say back in the day because it was like just a you know a few years before I started mine, but like it really does seem like back in the day, particularly yeah. because I mean that was before probably like TikTok was like taking off, and like I mean I'm not even on I'm on TikTok, but I don't make TikTok content. I'm not very good at video content aside from just doing video podcast recording. Um, <laughs> but like all of my clients come from Instagram, and like I think that yeah. I joined the online studio space around the time that Instagram was starting to take off. And I did like a little Mm -hmm. membership on like how to market yourself on Instagram. And that felt like so crazy because up until that point I had just been using like Facebook and Instagram to like connect with friends. And, you know, I think you saying that like your, your grit and like ability to like cold pitch or to like know your value and to be able to go up to another company and like actively prospect Mm -hmm. is a lost art. I think a lot of designers Mm -hmm. starting their studios now see people who have large followings on social media like you or whatever. And they think like, oh, well, I guess I just need to post on Instagram and people will come and hire me. And it's like, I definitely felt that way when I first started. And that is not at all the way to at least I think to sell or to be profitable in a company, you just cannot wait. You have to go out and actively connect with people. And now for me, that looks like relationship marketing, engagement through social media. Like sometimes Mm -hmm. I definitely do approach brands and say like, I am obsessed with what you do. Like, I think it would be so fun to work together, but like rarely is that like the conversation that starts and takes place. So it's just, it's cool to see about like, okay, how did you get your first couple of clients? Do you remember how you got like your first like freelance client? Was it something that you, like you just kind of like went up to them or like, I want to work with you or like, how did that kind of take place? I think they were probably, you know, friends of friends mm-hmm. of friends, some distant kind of connection like that. And then yeah. um, at the nonprofit that I worked at, I was exposed to a lot of different people and made a lot of connections there and so got to know people through that. I mean, once people know that you're a designer, I feel like it – and if you tell them that you're looking for clients, which is sort of another thing. I mean, you just touched on this a little bit, but I feel like right now everyone is trying to be like, oh, you know, I'm booking for – March 2024 or like booking Mm -hmm. for next year. Like I'm booked out so far, Mm -hmm. which is awesome. But in my experience, I am always taking on new work. Like even if I am fully booked, totally to the brim, I'm like, (laughs) if the right project comes along, I will absolutely rearrange my entire life to make it work. And so Mm -hmm. I have really learned over the years that like there is nothing gained for me by now, obviously, you don't want to lie. Like, if you are booked and you can't take on any more work, then you right. don't want to be soliciting tons of inquiries. But mm-hmm. nothing really – there's no benefit for me from being like, I'm not taking on any new clients. Like, I'm yeah. so busy and so booked. Don't even come to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just got off on a little tangent there. 
What was the question? I got lost. No, no, no. It was just like about your very first couple of clients. But like I kind of wanted to riff on what you were saying just earlier because like I am a full believer in not talking about like my capacity on like like publicly on social media. And I talk about on the Mm -hmm. podcast and stuff. But like I do not put like booked up or like booking for XYZ because like if Taylor Swift herself came knocking mm-hmm. at my door and was like, I want, I want to hire you. I would be like, I'm firing all my clients. Yes. Like, I am flying to wherever you are. You know what I mean? I'll it's stay like, up for I'm, 72 hours straight. Yes, I know. Just I'm, do like, it. I'm not, I'm not at the place where I'm like willing to have someone self-select out of my inquiry pool because of mm-hmm. something that they saw on my Instagram bio. So I talked about this in last week's episode as well, but like this is anyone sign listening to feel released from the the need or like if you see someone else put like I see people make posts about like I am booked up for this month and you know whatever it's like I don't do that because I want to know who's interested and I feel like yeah, also I would people's never timelines yeah. people's budgets change people's timelines change just, yes I just need to get on the phone with you and have a chat and then like lay it out and that you know like yeah. I feel like people come in with these preconceived notions and I think a lot of people also don't really understand what they're getting when they talk to like a designer and stuff like that mm-hmm. which yeah. that goes into a whole other conversation about proposal writing and about sales calls and stuff like that but um yeah I think it's it's just it's refreshing to hear about like oh okay there are some sales tactics that never go out of style and they might like change mm-hmm. a little bit over the years but those skills like have served you very well um and so like I'm curious to hear about like how you feel like things have changed in terms of client inquiries as the landscape has gotten more saturated because like people will talk all the time like, oh, there's so many designers. It's so discouraging. Like, I just feel like there's not a space for me. Like, how have you seen the industry change over the years in terms of like maybe your positioning or the way, like, did you see that like when more people joined inquiries went down or has it always been like, you have such a unique perspective, which I think might be the case that like, it it hasn't really impacted your company. No, it's definitely changed, but I think a lot of it has been the way that I, so really specifically with social media, I, when I first started, I was definitely trying to get clients on social media. I quickly realized I was not getting any clients on social media. And so I just kind of abandoned that. I really stopped using social media as a tool for getting clients. To this day, people have a hard time believing this, but I really don't get clients from social media because I've made a choice to not share any of my client work on social media. So if you came to my Instagram account, I mean, occasionally I'll get a pattern licensing client or someone will hire me to do an illustration for a t-shirt or something. But the bread and butter, what makes up the vast majority of my annual revenue, those people do not find me from social media. They just don't. And the reason now I have some pretty firm boundaries around sharing client work on social media. And a lot of it has to do with just self-preservation. I'm not interested in inviting feedback, um, unsolicited feedback that my clients didn't ask for um, about their project. Some of that just has to do with the the volume of people in my little corner of the internet. Um, but yeah, it's just, it is, it's so interesting to see how it's all kind of evolved. And I feel grateful that 
for sure, starting in 2015, I do have a little bit of an advantage because before it got saturated, I was able to work with tons of clients who now are able to, through word of mouth, refer me to other people, you know? So I did have a little bit of a head start before the industry did get really saturated. But I do believe that there are a lot of ways for people to find clients now that they that are exclusive to this specific moment in time. When I started, no, you know, when I got out of college, not a single person in my class would have ever dreamed of running their own studio. We all wanted to go work for an agency. We all had the exact same dream, right? Go work for a cute agency in Des Moines doing packaging design. Um, or I wanted to work for Meredith, which was a magazine company. And so, oh yeah, I I came from I come from a magazine background. I uh, I used to work at Women's Health, um, which is oh not awesome. It was Rodale. I was in New York for a little bit doing that. I was an assistant designer on their design team, so I'm so, familiar with the chatter about totally. that. Totally, <laughs> like editorial. I my dream was mm-hmm. to work for Real Simple. Like I oh my gosh. Huge- that's my favorite magazine. That was my dream too. Oh my god! Okay, this is so I funny. Literally, that you, I I guys, I did not tell her this because I talk about real simple. I have like I have real simple magazines lying all over my house, and it's still to this oh day gosh. my dream editorial print job. Like, <laughs> I don't know so what funny. it was that it got its teeth in me really early on, and I just wanted to work there so bad. I wanted to work there so bad that I literally got a degree in journalism because I thought it made contextual sense. Like in mm-hmm. hindsight, it's not maybe not that relevant, but. Um, yeah, so it's just so funny that that's really funny. So you yeah. still subscribe. Yeah, I do. I do. I definitely do. And I also have a degree in journalism. So it's just cool to see like mm-hmm. the parallels here. And parallels. But like, yes. Um, yeah, I think that also there's something about Real Simple's design. Also, Bon Appetit has a similar design. I feel like that magazine mm-hmm. taught me a lot about hierarchy, a lot about typography, yeah. a lot about spacing. So if anyone is like ever curious about like, oh, I want to like just pick up a magazine off the stand, grab a real simple and look at the way that they handle typography and like even Mm -hmm. like the letting in between, you know, lines of paragraph. Like I think every single part of it is like perfection. And I think that like, I don't, you know, I don't want to just say like, oh, my design style is similar to yours because I think we both have our unique perspectives, but like we both love simplicity. We both love color. We both love, Mm -hmm. you know, really nice, like spacious margins. Like, it's not surprising to me that like we no. both love real simple, but it's so funny that yeah. you said that because that's like, I literally talk about it all the time. And I don't think it's like a that well-known of a magazine. I remember reading it back in the day when like they had this page that was like new uses for old things. And I'm so sad oh, that yes. they like retired that page. Now it's just like new useful products because everything is about selling something, which I understand. Um, but yeah, that's really yeah, that's funny. Actually it, really, that's a, such a funny reflection. You're right. <laughs> I feel like it has been shaped by sort of a commercial yeah, it was. I mean, it was like a hot magazine from you know two thousand two yeah. to two thousand ten. Yeah. I feel like it was like it's the like, really the, the heyday. It's like look at what I can do with rubber bands and like you yeah. know uh, like chopsticks. You know, like I, I always I know. thought they were so like funny and like unique and stuff. But um, now it's like there's something on Amazon Prime that does that, and it can be at your house in two hours for six dollars and eighty five cents. Use this yeah. QR code. Yeah, but you know we we still love we still love Real Simple. I still subscribe. It's the only magazine that I still subscribe to, and that's like same. That is my ritual. In the most recent episode, they have a whole article on one of their features about like making everyday moments rituals. 
real simple mm-hmm. is a ritual for me for sure because I everything else is digital but like there ain't no pop-ups coming out of that magazine okay like it is no. quiet when I'm reading that yeah <laughs> so it's so funny um but I I wanted to kind of like take the conversation in a direction kind of talking about social media about boundaries about privacy and I think that that's something we touched on before we started the recording um one of the things that I've always really admired about you is that like I think that I have a good understanding of like who you are as a designer but I also respect so much that like there are things that you don't share on Instagram and as Mm -hmm. someone myself who's constantly feeling like I'm walking that balance between how much of my personal life do I want to share with people particularly once I became a mom around my children just Mm -hmm. safety concerns from being a military spouse for forever like they definitely talk about like not sharing like locations that you're at in the moment like just Mm -hmm. because the world has become such a scary place in terms of social media um I would love to hear your thoughts and philosophy around like why you kind of made that decision for yourself and for your studio really early on and any Mm -hmm. advice to someone who's feeling the pressure to post about like you know talking heads on stories or like dancing reels or you know trending (laughs) stuff or posting pictures of their family or holiday stuff that they see and it can feel so difficult to not hop on the like valentine's day husband post train or like i Mm -hmm. like kids first day of school and stuff like that so i would love to hear kind of from you all about like that your philosophy around that yeah i would say first that if that stuff feels good to you then that's awesome like go for it i will view yours and think it's awesome and think it's funny and you know I think the the truth for me is that it that those things did not feel good. And it really started when I was pregnant. So it was in 2018. Pretty much the second that I became pregnant, I was just overcome with this really bizarre, like primal desire for privacy. I have no explanation. I'm not a particularly private person. If you meet me in real life, you know, or right now. I would get into anything with you. I'm like a totally an open book, 100%. But when I was pregnant, it just really came over. I remember asking my husband if we had to tell our families that I was pregnant. And he was like, I think they're going to figure it out eventually. I mean, like (laughs) everyone is going to know. But I never told – I didn't tell any of my clients. I didn't tell – I never talked about it on social media. Um. I ended up, you know, I had one retainer client at that time and I said, hey, you know, I'm going to have a baby. Do you want to keep working together or or not? And um, but I just really started listening to that, like some inner compass that was telling me to just scale back. Prior to that point, you know, I certainly wasn't posting tons of house tours or, you know, selfies from dinner with my husband or my friends, but I definitely was posting more personal things. But after my daughter was born in 2019, that completely changed. I stopped sharing anything personal whatsoever down to even my dog. Um, and it, I don't have a great explanation for it other than that. It's what felt right for me at that time. And so I would affirm for anybody that, you know, is listening to a lot of messages, you know, People want to people want to buy from you. They don't want to buy from your brand, you know. Or people need to know about you before they want to work with you. That is somewhat true, but I don't think it's our job to share that info in a super public place like on social media. If you want to, that's awesome. Go for it. If you if that doesn't feel natural to you, 
those human connections can also be made on a sales call. You know, when you're like, oh my gosh, you are from Minnesota. So am I. And you start to kind of layer in those touch points. But I do feel like it's unrealistic for to expect everybody to yeah be recording reels or TikToks. I also do not have TikTok. Um, and it, it doesn't feel totally in alignment for me business-wise either. Like recently I had um, a client tell me that she started following me and I was like, oh man. Um, like I'm, I was like, wow, I'm now I'm thinking about what I'm posting in relationship to what this, you know, woman is seeing me post every day. And so if I, if I was feeling that within a greater context, you know, scope of things in my life, I think I would really start to get in my head a lot. And for me, similarly to client work, it's just an area of my life that I'm not open for feedback on. I don't want you to hear, I don't want to hear if you think something's wrong with my kids or something's wrong with my house or um, yeah, anything else. So I, I'm a very private person online, offline. I am not a private person at all. <laughs> I love that so much. And I think like, I think this whole episode is going to turn into one giant permission slip as most of our episodes do to mm-hmm. do what feels right for you and to not worry about like what other people are doing around you. Um, I, it's so funny. Like I, I swear I'm not trying to just like say, Oh, like I'm the same way. But like when I got pregnant with my son, I felt the exact same thing. And I don't know where it came from because like, I'm a ball of energy in real life. I am an extrovert. I love, I will connect. Like my husband always jokes. He's like, Jen, you could talk to a brick wall for an hour. And I'm like, I love that (laughs) about myself. That served me well in my company. Um, Mm -hmm. But like when I got pregnant, I, it was the same thing. I never shared a photo of myself pregnant anywhere on the Mm -hmm. internet. Like I, we told family, but like, I never announced it to my Instagram. I never put it on like publicly until I had the baby and then I shared a picture just like of me with like my husband's body in the background because he doesn't like being on social media either just because of his time in like the military and stuff and he's also extremely mm-hmm. private and mm-hmm. like a corner of like writer's blanket and like mm-hmm. to this day we have not shown him on social media he does like when with like school and stuff we asked that like no photos of him be shared online like if he's in a group yeah. like you know and and they like someone posts it on Facebook or whatever like that's fine but he's like not named you know like mm-hmm. and so we are just very like there's just something that feels like I don't have a con- lack I have a lack of control when like he if his photo is just out there on the internet and so that's like for me like and I'm the same way if you want to share pictures of your kids I'm gonna love the pictures of your kids I'm gonna comment yeah. on the pictures of your kids I'm gonna be happy mm-hmm. that you shared a picture of your dog and your house and I did like share the, like the build process publicly because that just felt like really fun but now that all my stuff is in the house like I'm not really showing pictures of like sort everyday stuff like I don't know mm-hmm. it's just like I think one thing that I've learned over the course of my few years in business is that like, if I have a feeling about something, then it's right for me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't oh, always yes. used to think that like, it's, that sounds so simple to say, but like when you're starting a business and you're in uncharted territory and you have no idea what you're doing, like you just are grasping onto like whatever anyone else can say that's going to lead you to what their version of success is. Like you said, like mm-hmm. I got into like the whole, oh, well, people need to see your face. People need to buy from you. And like one thing that I always tell like my mentees and my mini mind program is that if that feels fun for you, 
then do it. If it doesn't feel fun for you, there are alternate ways to connect with people. And odds are your people are not the type of people that are going to really require seeing your face on social media anyways. Like if you're like a more soft-spoken person who just is feels like a little bit more introverted and you thrive in like one-to-one situations, like you said, a sales call is going to be a great like invitation. You can even call it a coffee chat. You can make it cozy. Mm -hmm. You know, like it doesn't have to be like I've literally never done like a dancing TikTok before in my mm-hmm. life. And like, I'll do a couple like trending reels just for fun because it like feels fun, but I just never have the time for it. It's just not a huge priority. So thank you for sharing all of that because like, I think for someone who has the type of following that you do and the type of privacy you've been able to maintain is something that is very unique because typically mm-hmm. we see people who have big followings that are just like out there selling their souls on the internet, which is fine. You know, like the influencer culture and everything is definitely a legitimate like way to make money and to like grow your brand and stuff. But I think it's really cool that you've been able to grow your business to the place where it is now while also maintaining like, I don't feel comfortable doing this. This is what's right for me and like trusting yourself. And also I'll affirm that it's like right for me right now. I, at the Mm -hmm. beginning of 2023, I told myself that I was going to try to be more open on social media and share more about myself, not my kids, but just my life and, you know, my whatever. I wanted to be more vulnerable. So I posted, (laughs) this was so funny. So I like posted some photos of what had been happening in my life lately, just like a photo roundup. And I think I had it up for maybe 20 minutes before I was just so overcome with anxiety. I thought it was a vulnerability hangover, but I think it was just, it's still wrong for me. It's not, it's not for me right now. And so I think it's normal to change your mind. Maybe you're super open and then something makes you feel more private. Maybe you've been really private, but you want to challenge yourself to be more open. I mean, the other day I watched a video tour of someone's, you know, primary bathroom drawer organization. So I'm not opposed to being in other people's lives. It's just, it's not for me. And I think the more we can realize that in every category of our life, the more we can say like, that's awesome for you, but it's not for me. Then it's just easier to flow through the world day to day. Honestly, I think. A hundred percent. Love that so much. Um, I would love to shift gears for a second and talk a little bit more about retainers and kind of about this golden goose idea of the 10K month because it's something you put on your form and I kind of want to like go down this path for a second. Mm-hmm. A lot of designers are kind of obsessed with this like five-figure project, this like high mm-hmm. ticket project, the high ticket sale. Um, even profitability, I think, can be this this golden goose, I guess, quote unquote, um, which is, it's important to look at profit, of course, like that's all, that's what you have financially in a company. But um, I know that you have a different perspective. Um, and so I would love for you to share that perspective with our audience, um, you know, this flexibility and still maintaining profitability, even at lower ticket projects. Um, mm-hmm. And then we can kind of get into a conversation about retainers after that too. Yeah. Well, one thing about me for how big of a rule follower I am, I do just kind of do my own thing in business. It doesn't always make sense to everyone else, but it's what's a good fit for me. And I do feel, you know, I run my business extremely lean. I am, I used to have a studio manager. Um, I don't right now. I will work with another designer very rarely, but for me personally, I found that those things actually made my business a little bit more stressful just in expanding that. And I want to be able to decide 
this hasn't really happened, but it happened a couple summers ago where I was like, I'm going to take the summer off. I'm going to, you know, I was working 10 hours a week and I don't want to be responsible for someone else's livelihood. Basically. I, I just didn't want to be on the hook for anyone other. I am already on the hook for so many people outside of my own person day to day that like, I just need to keep my business in a very narrow little window. That's kind of how I survive. But For me, services-wise, I started to realize that I had kind of accidentally niched down into offering just one thing. Again, I'll just, again, qualify this by saying that this is just me, okay? This is my life. If you're listening to this and you're thinking what you're doing sounds terrible, then don't do it. But if it's inspiring, maybe it'll inspire somebody. So I, um, this was about two years ago, I realized I had kind of just accidentally niched down to having just a really, really narrow window of services. I started to notice that as, you know, inquiries were shifting, the type of work that people were looking for was changing and evolving. Um, I was just leaving a lot of money on the table. And so I started to offer a couple different things. And now I've kind of landed in this place where I try to offer one standard service, which for me is visual branding. So I, you know, or packaging design. And that's kind of a, just a standard offer that most people have in their business. I offer a time controlled offer for me. That's an intensive. Um, and then I offered, um, an ongoing or a recurring offer. So those are retainers. And so I just, I'm trying to kind of protect myself from, if all of my visual branding clients dry up, which is definitely plausible, um, none of us are ever safe. I mean, or like immune from that happening, no matter how big your studio is, um, you know, that I have other things going on that can sustain my business financially. And so that, you know, I started with retainers right when I started my business. They were absolutely my bread and butter for a long time. And then I stopped in 2019 and then I kind of started looping them back in in 2021. And they have been a really great part of my business, you know, ever since. Yeah, I feel like a lot of designers think like that retainers, I think retainers just get a bad rap sometimes because like clients have abused them in the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And because the designers also haven't set like the exact container and the exact like understanding and relationship with that client. Um, I have had a great experience with retainers. And in fact, one of my very first clients was Discovery Media. And at the time they had like a little division called curiosity.com. And um, I was just doing like social media, like, like templated social media graphics for them. I would just like pump them out and they would Mm -hmm. like pay me a flat fee every month. And there was rarely any changes and we had Mm -hmm. a great rapport and it was easy and it was just like, it was fantastic. Eventually they, um, that division got shut down. And so they let me go from that like contract, but, um, I loved that. And it was really nice, like income padding and like be able to Mm -hmm. like project in the future, like exactly like I, if no other branding clients come my way, at least I'm making like 3k a month or whatever it was at the time. It's changed over time. Um, and so I'm curious about like what your perspective is on this kind of narrative of like, oh, like clients will abuse retainers and like Mm -hmm. there's these horror stories out there about demanding clients and they don't, they treat you like an employee and stuff. How did you like fall in love with retainers and like how have you like maintained that um, profitability, but also like positivity around that type of offer structure? Yeah, that's a very thoughtful question. I think a lot of it has to do with mindset, which is kind of a buzzword, but 
if you are someone who likes to be the expert, you want clients to come to you and you are like, I have all the answers, come to me and I will bestow you with my wisdom, which some people love and that is so cool and they're absolutely rocking it. That is not necessarily my personality. I love a partnership. I love, you know, I always say my nobody knows their business better than my client and nobody knows design better than me, you know, so, or I mean, lots of people know design better than me, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> no, Together, I get Within the relationship, yes, you have your own Between the two of, of us, yeah. I'm design, <laughs> they're their business. We're a powerhouse dynamic duo. Um, and so I think if you come into it having like an attitude of serving, which some, which is really hard for some people. And if you know that about yourself, then, you know, it might not be the best fit. But for me, you know, you just said they, they treat me like an employee. That's a, that's a pro for me. Like I love I, my retainer client. I'm going to travel for a meeting with them next week. I love that. I, I have had, you know, in the last five years, the number of tough, really hard business moments I've had with visual branding clients versus retainer clients, it's like 10 to zero. I mean, not even close, you know, it's so different. And so I think clients can give you a hard time in any category of service that you're providing. As you mentioned, I do think people struggle with retainers. There's so many different ways you can offer them. You can offer a traditional retainer, which is, you know, hourly, essentially. You can offer a deliverable-based retainer, like your social media templates, where you're saying, I'm providing you 10 social media templates every month, and it might take you 45 minutes, right? It could be the best deal of all time. Um, Or you could do, you know, design days or intensives are so popular right now. You could do an intensive retainer where it's like once every quarter, you know, they're doing a design day with you. You're basically what you're asking a client to do is make a commitment to you for a more extended period of time. And with that financial commitment from them, I mean, definitely does come a level of commitment from you that is different than someone that comes to you for a one-off brochure design and then you never see them again in the rest of your life, which we've all had clients that we just kind of see once and then they, you know, go on with their lives. And so I love the relationship building portion of it. I've kind of made it work for me now by serving retainer clients on specific days. So if, uh, you know, Monday, Tuesday could be the day that I'm serving retainer clients. Um, it's not, I'm, I'm not always available at all times of every day of every week. And so having some of those boundaries in place can really help people um, that feel like that level of availability to clients would be kind of oppressive to them. But I think really at the heart of it is like, if you are, you know, I call it being client centered. So being really client forward in my business if that is sort of the heart of your business as well, I th- they're, they've been such a great fit and I've just found them retainers to be extremely fulfilling. I like that you said that retainers don't have to necessarily just be like a package of hours because yeah, I no. think like, you know, deliverable based retainers, like you said, with the social media templates, yeah, it was the deal of the century for me and mm-hmm. it was very profitable for them. I was in a similar situation where I pitched let me be a subcontractor because they were looking for a full-time person. And I pitched myself Mm -hmm. as a subcontractor. I was like, 
deduct my, you know, my pay yeah. for your taxes. Don't pay me any health no care, like, no benefits, yeah. like yeah. no PTO. Like it's a win-win, right? And so they were like really, really excited about that. And like it was extremely profitable for me because I got into a group. I could do it really quickly. I knew it was predictable. Mm-hmm. I knew what was what was coming. And like I think it can be beyond like, oh, here's a package of like 20 hours every single month, as I think a lot of us are moving away from our like time for money, trading time for money and moving towards mm-hmm. like trading time for or trading money for value. Um, mm-hmm. I think that retainers can fit into, you know, value-based pricing or whatever type of pricing model you guys have. Um, like you said, intensives, VIP days, it could be like a four pack throughout the year, like yep. one per quarter. I think that's genius. Like, you know, like everything that we talk about, it's like, make it work for you, make it work for your clients as well. Because my clients are probably slightly different from Olivia's clients. And like Olivia's clients are probably slightly different from whoever's listening's clients. And like, they're going to have different needs and different things are going to be attractive to them. Like some clients really just want, they they don't want to get on a subscription model. They're like, I just want to pay you once and then leave. And that's totally fine. Like a lot of my clients are, are very much like that. But I have had some clients in the past be like, Oh, like my intern is struggling with our social media. Like, do you offer any type of like social media is typically what I hear most often. And so like, I'm kind of toying around with an idea of like maybe social media consulting or like, so maybe not necessarily content creation because that's like just so time intensive, but like Mm -hmm. some sort of like new, like fresh template pack every single month or something that their team can then implement or even just like a mentorship call to like talk about like data and analytics or something. I think that could be so fun. And so like huge permission slip to everyone listening and myself that like retainers don't have to be scary and that you can remain in control. And as long as you find the type of client, it's going to be respectful of what the, the offer is and what the process looks like, then it can be such a win-win beyond what like just a single project could look like because once that money is gone like they're not they might not come back I mean they might but yeah. you know the retainer you at least have some sort of security there for sure and I think so most of my retainers all of them actually are hourly so I'll normalize mm-hmm. that as well like you there is nothing wrong with trading time for money I don't yes. think so um mm-hmm. I I think the key is just having an hourly rate that you feel good about like I'm mm-hmm. happy to show up and get paid the amount that I get paid per hour because I think it's fair and so does my client. So it's like a good yeah. win-win for both parties. Um, but, you know, there's just so much nuance like anything. There is. There is. And, like, I think so many things tend to get glorified in the, like, boutique studio space. I mean, I even just brought it up just now with, like, value-based pricing. Like, oh, trading time for money. Mm-hmm. It's like – if that is profitable for you and it works for you and for your client, then like, heck yes, like do it. You know, I, it's so funny. Cause I had like a client just recently ask me like, Oh, like she's like a potential client. She's the one that actually just signed on for like that last web design project. One of her questions on the proposal was like, if you had to estimate like how many hours you think this project would take you, like, what would it be? I'm just curious. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I don't even like know how to answer that question because I don't really like track my hours. I don't really know. I mean, some things like take me longer than other things. And so for me, it just feels best to just do flat pricing because that way it protects my client from me having to like work through a creative block and work an extra 10 hours on something. You know what I mean? But like for Mm -hmm. retainer stuff, like that probably makes sense for them because like if they have more needs with you, then they can pay you more. Or like if they have less then like, you know, it kind of can condense and expand. And like, like you said, your hourly rate it includes all of your other expenses and it like feels good for you. Like, I think that's awesome. I think, you know, there's, 
There's no wrong or right to anything. No, there's not. And I would definitely, I mean, I don't want to tell you what to do, but I think you should track your time for a few projects. It's yes, such a pain. I know in, I need to. <laughs> it's such a pain in the butt. So I call it an AHR, your actual hourly rate, because it's usually way lower than people think it is. Um, and mm. so what I have found is that, you know, my perception of how good of a deal flat rate projects are for me is sometimes right, sometimes wrong. Actually, ironically, it's usually the best with really small jobs. Like I just quoted a job yesterday for $800 for three illustrations. Like I know I'm going to be able to do that relatively fast and it's going to be a really good hourly return for me. But like, it's just a little job, you know, it's $800 compared to, I mean, it's not no money, but you know, compared to, we do hear this glorification of like $10,000 jobs and $20,000 jobs. And so I think tracking that amount is really helpful to understand like, oh, it's not that far of a jump to um, a retainer rate, you know, or an hourly rate where you're guaranteed to have that amount. I There's a funny, I have to find it and send it to you, but it's like a, do you ever watch the future or ever watch any of their yes. videos? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So Chris is in a video and he's basically telling a client, you know, the client says, how many hours is this going to take? Because they're trying to calculate what the hourly rate is. And he's like, so if it takes more than that, you know, are you comfortable with me billing you more? Like basically, if a client's trying to get out of a value, a flat rate pricing and get over to hourly because they think it's going to cost them less, saying, basically saying, well, I have no guarantee. It could easily take, I could be wrong. It could take me 60 hours. And, you know, in a mm-hmm. flat rate pricing, that's my loss. And we've all experienced that as designers where we guess, mm-hmm. you know, we price incorrectly. Um, but I, th- I always have that story in the back of my head because every once in a while, you know, a client will ask kind of a, a pointed question like that, trying to kind of pull coals in your pricing. And sometimes that's a red flag. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes they're just genuinely curious and about understanding. I think she was. I think it came from yeah. like a positive place because we'd worked together before in the past. And like, mm-hmm. I think it, you know, it's just like, I think in her industry also, they bill hourly. So like, I think yeah. she was just trying to like, she also had some questions about like how long like the work would take her on her end, filling out the questionnaire and mm-hmm. copy and stuff like that, which is a totally like normal question to have. But like, yeah. I thought it was just like so interesting because I hadn't gotten that question before during the proposal process. And I was like, is this something that people are really interested in? But I gave an answer that's very similar. To, I ha- I'm not familiar with that video, so you'll have to send it to me. But like, mm-hmm. I responded like, hey, I actually do flat rate pricing because it's kind of a win-win for both of us where like, I am able to, you know, plan for a set amount in my studio schedule based off of like however many payments you're going to make. And if for whatever reason, this project ends up taking me longer hours, you don't get penalized. Yeah. Like the theme of this episode, do what you want if it sounds fun and then give yourself permission to not do something if it doesn't sound fun. There we go. Yes. I love (laughs) that summary. Yes. To wrap everything up, if you could leave our audience with one nugget of advice when it comes to retainers, but we've also touched on a lot of other things in this episode, boundaries, privacy, you know, marketing, lead generation, like what's something that you want to tell some of our newer designers to business or even people who are seasoned that you feel like is a lesson that you've learned over your 13 years as a designer? Yeah. I mean, I think you did just kind of sum it up. Like if it feels good to you, (laughs) then it's worth pursuing. I think there oftentimes I, I experienced this in my life just creatively. Like when everyone is doing the same thing, sometimes that means it's time to try something else. And so I think that, you know, that 
that has creative context, but it also has context in our businesses as well. Like if every single person is saying you need to do it X way, it's it may be time to try something else because the way that we do business evolves forever and we're all ha- have different seasons of our life um, and lives where, you know, maybe you're able to offer, like it's very difficult for me to offer intensives now the way that I used to because the idea of having one day where I'm responsible for something, if that is a day that one of my kids is homesick or anything, anything happens, you know, it just doesn't work for me anymore. And so I've just evolved and freed myself up to recognize that things are constantly changing in my business. Very few things that I've said I've never do have I not done. I've I've changed my mind and tried different things and experimented and evolved. And so I think a combination of that spirit where you're brave and willing to stay true to yourself and also, you know, a really client first boundary perspective where you do you're able to be honest about your life and what's happening in your life so that you can set some parameters for your clients that you're going to be able to deliver what they want like I think that combination of being true to yourself but also having your clients in the forefront of your mind is a really good place to exist from as a designer Wow. So eloquent. So wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that with our audience. Um, I am going to skip our inbox question just for time this time, but I would love for you to share a little bit more information about how people can find you. And also just a little shout out to your design retainer bootcamp in case someone is like, oh my goodness, I need to learn more about how I can implement these things in my studio. Okay. Yes. So first of all, you can find me um, on Instagram at Olivia Herrick Design or my website is OliviaHerrickDesign.com. And then Design Retainer Bootcamp is, it's basically a done in a day program and it's designed to be able to take somebody who is kind of curious about offering retainers or maybe you've tried offering them and you weren't sure it wouldn't go great. Um, It's a program that basically takes you from, you know, A to Z, running, pitching, selling, executing profitable design retainers. And it has some great swipe files like pitch emails, a pitch document. Um, So yeah, it's been really great. It's been so helpful and so fun to walk people through something that has been really life-changing for me and see it impacting other people's lives. So it's a special program to me. Wonderful. And I believe you also have a discount code for $50 off the code is 550OFF. So if anyone is curious about, you know, anything that we talked about today and want to learn a little bit more from Olivia, then you guys can visit her website, oliviaherrickdesign.com. And the URL is going to be in our episode description, but it's slash design dash retainer dash bootcamp. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. I feel like, you know, every episode I say, I finish by saying this every single time. I feel like we could talk for another hour. You guys are probably tired of me hearing At me least. say that, but I am just so grateful for your time, especially because like, I know you're a mom like me, you're on the, like, got to get it all done before the school pickup. So I just thank you so much for sharing your time with me and for being here and, um, just kind of being open and vulnerable and sharing with our audience as well. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I feel like we're a long lost friend. So I'm glad that we got to connect. 
Yay. I feel the same way. Wonderful. Awesome. Well, if you guys um, love this episode, please um, comment on our most recent Instagram post. Um, we do little reels that have the little video on it. Um, hop into our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash better brand designer and comment on our most recent post um, with any thoughts or questions for Olivia or anything like that. Um, and of course, you can always reach out to me. I'm Jen. I'm at Hello June Creative on Instagram. And please leave us a rating or review. It really helps the podcast um, grow and more designers learn and follow us and find us. So with all that being said, thank you, Olivia. And we will see you guys in next week's episode. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Leave a review, join our free Facebook community, and share the pod with your designer friends so that they can join the fun. Give me a shout on Instagram at Better Podcast if you want to submit an inbox question and visit the pod at betterbranddesigner.com to learn more and snag discounts on my favorite resources. See you next week.